Hi, this is Isaac Arthur. Welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac Arthur and use my code Isaac Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Brilliant. There's a lot of discussion about if we are real or merely in someone's simulation or dream, but what if we are real, we just died centuries ago and keep getting resurrected over and over again? Some call it the simulation argument, some the simulation hypothesis, and it's a concept that in many ways predates the computer age but fundamentally comes down to asking if we are living in a dream or computer program, or, fundamentally, if we are real. Today we will be looking at the specific case of ancestor simulations, and indeed this is the actual case for computer simulation discussion, but that tends to get left out of most discussions, and in my opinion is a lot of why the topic is both controversial and confusing to folks. I want to start from the outset, since this topic tends to draw some reckless talk and clickbait, that I'm not going to prove to you today that you are or are not in a simulation. It is not something that you can easily prove either way. And it is a real possibility, but nothing approaching a certainty or likelihood that we're in a simulation. We will want to explain why today and also how concepts like ancestor simulations are distinct from classic notions of us living in a dream. The basic notion is hard to credit anyone, and indeed the idea we're in a dream probably dates back to the dawn of humanity, or whenever the dreamer started dreaming. However it was philosopher Nick Bostrom who developed the formal argument a generation back, and it is very specific to the case of ancestral simulations. We'll detail those more in a bit, but summary form is this, it's where a civilization, centuries ahead of us currently, likes to run simulations of its actual past or also very parallel what-if scenarios. That's very important to the concept as we will see. Now by default, folks discussing simulation argument tend to just mean any simulation or virtual world with people like ourselves in them, but that does not fit the case. We're not really talking about if some person or persons, with access to vast computing power, built tons of virtual universes below them, of any traits and style they wanted. And that case is really no different than notions such as black hole mini-universes, the idea that every time a black hole forms, a new universe is big banging out somewhere. These aren't really discussing that you might be in a fake universe, in the sense of mimicking a prior period of your own civilization. It's simply saying that universes can spawn children, by nature or intelligent action, assembled underneath high levels like a family tree and the flavor was more like a child universe or subverse rather than more aquarium reality flavor that simulated universes often seem to have, existing for entertainment or research, living in a fishbowl. There are many other reasons you might do an ancestor simulation besides those, but there is an almost unlimited number of reasons to make subverses and these in generic format can't tell you much about the simulator. See if I simulate the 19th century earth, those living inside that simulation speculating on if they're real will be in a universe with the same physical laws and culture of our 19th century, and from which our 21st century existence is derived, so they can usefully speculate about us and our motives. On the other hand a person might simulate a universe utterly different in physics and geometry from our own, 
and by that same reasoning, if our universe is simulated but not an ancestor simulation, the simulators might not be using computers because they might come from a universe which has no atoms, where gravity is a billion times stronger, where there's five dimensions and neutrinos mass as much as neutron stars, and where concepts like entropy and thermodynamic limits simply don't apply. Indeed, even the laws of mathematics might differ. Now, mind you, some rough sketch of a fantasy world on a piece of paper can be argued to be a simulated universe itself, and those can often grow in complexity, like Tolkien's Middle-earth or countless other fictional settings, and those details in those fictional settings actually do tell us a lot about humanity and the author and the world they live in, but mostly only make sense as clues when we already know the details of that universe, Tolkien's Middle-earth which could be argued to be an ancestor simulation since it's supposed to be set in the distant past of our own world, implies a lot of normal physics, gravity and chemistry and so on, but rarely gives any detail. At no point in the story did Frodo or Bilbo announce how fast an object falls in terms of local gravity or that they're breathing oxygen, and indeed that setting, like so many fictional ones, has some hard breaks with science. Middle-earth has had periods without a sun, in favor of glowing trees or gemstones, or where it was flat, before Numenor sank. Now these worlds are not simulated to the degree requiring consciousness by the characters in them, presumably, and ours, if it is simulated, does. It is possible that we're really simple compared to the unfathomable supermind that built our simulation, but nonetheless we are conscious, or at least I am, and you presumably can be confident you are too. Cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, as Descartes put it, though the assertion is not that we are real, merely that you cannot usefully doubt your own existence, since someone would have to be doing that doubting. So the simulation argument starts with saying that, either it is possible to simulate a previous age of your world, complete with simulated minds that could think they were real, or it is not, then it says that if it is possible, we must ask if future civilizations would do it or not, and if so, how often. The basic reasoning that folks often cite for giving a probability of our realness or not is to use the principle of indifference. This is the philosophical or mathematical notion that in the absence of any other evidence pointing one way or another, you should assume your various solutions or outcomes are equally likely. As a quick example, if you run along a corridor chasing someone and lose sight of them, then come to a room at the end with three closed doors you have to initially assume each option is equally likely as the way they fled, a 1 in 3 or 33.33% chance that person you're following took a particular door. If it was actually 3,000 people running down that corridor at different times so that you had no reason to think any of them were influencing each other's choices, you would be assuming about a thousand ran through each door. Now in practice, you can often find some evidence. Footprints, fingerprints, or wear and tear on the doorknobs would be examples, so too we could speculate that right-handed folk might be more likely to use the right-hand door, or that they are painted red, green, and blue, and folks tend to be more likely to go through the green door and least likely to go through the red. Also we have to consider that we're focusing on the doors to exclusion and ignoring options like them having fled through an air duct, hidden in a corner or hanging from the ceiling or possessed an unexpected ability like turning invisible or teleporting, and especially when dealing with intelligent actors, you need to contemplate them intentionally acting atypically. Nonetheless, that's the idea behind the principle of indifference, and it's a solid one, 
when presented with two or more plausible outcomes and without any real evidence indicating which is more or less likely, we assume they are all about the same until we can demonstrate otherwise, an emphasis on this being a working assumption. In a moment I will declare the odds of you living in an ancestor simulation are 33%, and that is going to be based on the principle of indifference, that number is not likely to be the real odds merely that those are the hypothetical odds given to make this point. Indeed, technically, there are no odds, you either do or do not exist in one. But where we're trying to get the odds, the fact that something can be assumed to be 1 in 3 because we simply have no evidence to the contrary, is not a compelling argument of any kind. I felt like that needed saying up front, because a lot of folks get some existential terror at the idea of being a simulation and folks often talk about what the odds are as though we had actual evidence rather than a probabilistic argument. In and of itself, the basic argument for simulation hypothesis is the same as saying there's a 50-50 chance someone I meet is a serial killer, because people either are or are not a serial killer, thus by principle of indifference, anyone I meet has that 50% odds. That's not the case and we have data indicating how likely people are to be serial killers and it is pretty rare. We could also set it up by saying we found a dead body and assumed it was either natural causes or mortal, and if the latter, it was either done by someone who rarely mortals people or who does it a lot. Three options, natural causes, mortal by an amateur, or serial killer. In the absence of any other evidence we say it is one in three, that's the idea. Then we try to find more evidence to adjust those numbers to better represent reality, it's just kinda hard to do that when the question in mind is if we live in reality. Now for the simulation argument there are three propositions, and those are that it either is or is not possible in a particular universe with either the same or different natural laws to make ancestor simulations and that if it is, civilizations either choose not to make ancestor simulations or they do and do it a lot. Such being the case, it can be assumed that there is a 1 in 3 chance that the third option is true, that ancestor simulations are possible and that civilizations opt to do them a lot, that once folks have the technology to emulate a mind or reality they often replicate some period of their past, including various people who are not alive anymore, their ancestors, whom they are now simulating and to believe they are real. The follow-up is the idea that if we're assuming Proposition 3 is true, that civilizations who can simulate do so frequently, then that means that actual civilization did once experience the year 2022, when this video airs, but they've also simulated many times, maybe millions of times. The folks in those simulations, who are fully emulated human minds, do not know that they are in a fake copy or what-if scenario of the year 2022, like the one where that war or market crash or disease variant didn't end up happening as opposed to being narrowly avoided, or the simulation where nuclear war didn't happen for those who want to go vacation in their innocent youth, before the bombs landed and all the survivors were techno-barbarian cyborg mutants. And I do not know if I'm in the original or copy, and if there's 99 copies and one original, there's only a 1% chance I'm in it. So in that case, there would be a 1 in 3 or 33.33% chance I was in a reality where ancestor simulation was common, and a 99% chance I was in such a sim, there's an even 33% chance I'm a sim. Now this is not wrong, the logic applied is entirely proper and functional. It doesn't mean it's right either. 
and as an example, we can add more options by not being so binary. For instance, we could say the simulation might be physically possible, but civilizations capable of doing it may be automatically prone to self-obliteration through some crazy AI running amok. Or that it's possible but almost always a very brief phase, leading to a few dozen simulated universes that are few in number or occupants, and get banned or unpopular almost right away. Either makes us have a fourth option and changes the reasoning, by principle of indifference, to 25%. This doesn't somehow mean you're actually more or less likely to be real and not a sim. What's different about an ancestor simulation idea over classic life is a dream concepts, or is there no difference? Well, there is a real difference and I think folks miss that when discussing Bostrom's concept by assuming it's merely a modern version of dream existence. It is not computers that make the simulation argument different either, not exactly, that's really just a substrate, the specific way the new reality is made, and when we're talking about simulated realities in general, you can use the words programmer and god interchangeably. A universe dreamed up by deity, like with Brahma of Hinduism, who sleeps and dreams our universe, probably does not have a brain made of neurons, our brain substrate any more than silicon wafer chips, a computer or AI substrate which also might be made of other materials and a simulating universe might be made of materials that don't even exist in all simulated or dreamed reality. Again the computer and programmer versus dreamer or deity part is pretty semantic here. Instead, what's relevant is the ancestor simulation notion itself, which speaks to motivation. A little bit ago we talked about how by the principle of indifference there's a 1 in 3 chance we're in a simulated reality and the other two thirds were a universe where simulating minds of our complexity is simply not possible or was possible but was simply not done. The problem though is that the first clause is essentially a throwaway in modern context. We'll be able to build computers big enough to emulate a human mind and more. We probably already have supercomputers powerful enough and now it's more of a coding issue and a recording one if we care about specific individuals. We could raise notions like, if a human, like you or I, could be emulated on a computer without losing some unknown mystic quality, but this then merely rephrases the idea that heaven or hell or the Fey Realm or other such places are a different layer of reality, maybe a superior or order one even, but not implying the layer we're in is somehow fake and us along with it. Though for my own part, I don't really see the difference between a person born in an ancestral simulation and another who was not, in terms of basic personhood. Obviously if one of them did have a soul and the other did not, that is a decent basis to challenge if that soulless person is indeed a true person. However, since souls seem to be rather evasive at detection or description at the moment, it is not a topic we can usefully speak about. This is why I often say on this topic, whether or not we are in a simulation, and thus real or unreal, is the wrong question to ask, the better one is if it actually matters. I am real, I am a person, show me I am in a simulation, and I'll just say the definition some use for reality needs adjusted. Nonetheless, that first point, that we can almost take for granted that simulating minds is possible, would raise our odds of being in a simulation to 50-50, since it is saying we can and thus the question is just if we do or do not, in a few centuries or so or when we get the technology perfected, which again might have been in our own past. 
Now we need another caveat because emulating a mind to the point you and I have is way beyond what is likely to be needed for realistic human portrayals in entertainment or education simulations. We have this leftover perspective from early science fiction days, that anything able to interact at the human level needs something near human intelligence and consciousness. This is why we get humanoid robot butlers in books and films who can run a vacuum and wash dishes and have a heart-to-heart talk with people, and in practice we get a chatbot, a robot vacuum cleaner, and smart dishwasher. Not some thing which might debatably be a person. The simple reality is that if you want to go live in a virtual reality, killing orcs or rescuing damsels in distress from fire-breathing dragons, none of them really need to be running a conscious mind, of human level, all the time, or probably ever, but certainly not when off-screen. It's like needing to be able to read a book for 5 minutes and thus building an entire sun to read by, that lives for a billion years and shines over a billion square kilometers of real estate, it's just pointless waste. And I think it's just because folks aren't thinking about how wasteful it really is that makes them assume a powerful and wealthy future civilization might do it anyway. But you don't. You live in a universe where entropy is real and energy is limited because we're talking about an ancestor simulation. So they more or less match our own universe up above in their real one. You don't build a mountain range to shield yourself from a breeze, even if you can. You don't simulate 8 billion minds as 4 people unless you need to because it's probably millions of times the effort an otherwise practically identical, non-sentient simulation would need. And all such simulations are about cutting corners, you don't simulate individual molecules if you do not have to, for instance. Thus we can make a pretty good argument why folks in the future might be able to do ancestor simulations but do not. And this to me is the critical bit. I don't think it is a 50-50 proposition that we do live in a reality where such simulations are possible, but either do them a lot or not at all. I just don't see any logical reason why we would ever bother. And mind you, this is not some casual exercise, it is like saying I can't see any reason why we would build an ICBM with a nuclear warhead capable of blowing up the entire planet, because it would be insanely expensive to do so and before you got up to even a millionth of the needed strength, it would already be able to sterilize all life on the planet, which lives in a thin little layer on its surface. And critically, why would you launch that on an ICBM? It is the same concept. Simulating 8 billion people is kind of pointless overkill. I want to blow up the entire planet, even its unoffending mantle and core, just to get those lava people. And I want to do this by sticking it on a missile with just enough fuel to fly from one side of the planet to another, even though detonating it anywhere near the planet does the same thing, making the rocket silly. How often does this device really get built? Probably as often as a first-person shooter bothers simulating the rifling inside a gun barrel the player cannot see and does it all the way down to the atomic level. Now that's an important note too. We'll be discussing briefly various things around us that folks take as proof or evidence for or against us being in a simulation, and some of these are just bad arguments. A common one is that it just wouldn't be possible to simulate every atom in a planet, let alone a universe, and it ignores that there's no reason why anyone would. Unless they had literally infinite mind and power in which case we are in a pretty classic creator-deity situation and I don't think calling their creation fake is likely to be meaningful or accurate. 
Where they are finite they need to avoid waste, or wasteful excess simulation. If I am in a virtual reality designed for scenic walks, I do not need the jogger passing me in the other direction to have an actual brain, nor the deer that ran across the path to have individually simulated gut bacteria. What I need is a program that ramps up the effective resolution of reality when I'm in proximity and interaction. A program switches on to make things up for the jogger to say if I stop them, or for under a microscope if I decide to shoot the deer and inspect its stomach for bacteria. Now, some would say this is where quantum mechanics gives the game away, because the uncertainty principle is sort of a minimum resolution or pixelation to reality, albeit with complementary variables. There's no minimum size really, maybe a plank length, but rather there's a minimum combination of position and momentum, or energy and time, that we can know simultaneously, still really just a type of pixel, and because of that there's no way to exactly predict what will happen or what did happen, and thus you cannot model every single atom at the present to show how it is inconsistent with the recorded past or future and thus a made up fake. And that's true enough, but not necessary. Folks tend to forget that a simulated person is not some brain in a jar or person in a battery tank from the Matrix. The programmer can leave triggers in your head to flag them if you think reality is unreal and delete the inconsistency or even just tell you it wasn't. It's the same as if some omnipotent god didn't want you to be certain it existed, it is all-powerful and all-seen. So if you suddenly became certain, it knows and can just tweak it so you didn't feel that way anymore. A lot of little tales folks see about simulated reality and us being in one or not in one benefit from being viewed from that divine perspective rather than just assuming there was some programmer who was maybe just a bit smarter than you or I. More likely it's some technological singularity who stands above us mentally the way we do an ant. You are not outsmarting them or it and seeing some clue they didn't realize was there because even if you did see something they somehow did not, they can literally hit the pause button, go back to a previous save state, and fix either that problem or your ability to see it, and remove that bug for future folks. This is a simulated reality and a simulated person. If you are in one, it's not just that they can affect your surroundings by, for instance, having a 900 pound gorilla appear in front of you, it's that they could make that happen while also making it so that you didn't believe it was there, even while it was tearing up the scenery and those around you were saying, wow, what a big gorilla! The same applies for something like the size of the universe. Folks often argue that a universe so big couldn't be meant to be empty, thus either we should colonize it or other life is there. Many folks interpret this as proof of a simulation or a more classic supernatural creator, many view it as the exact opposite, proof there is not. It might actually be either, but merely as that data currently presents itself, it is not a compelling argument of any kind. Folks are engaging in that bad habit of interpreting evidence to support their view rather than lining up with falsifiability. Scientific and logical falsifiability is where you hypothesize that something, if true, would support your theory and if false, falsify it. Something you do not know the answer to yet, then you go find out which it is. Instead, with simulation argument, folks tend to try to take any new bit and squeeze into their belief on that topic. This is hardly unique to simulation argument of course, and we all tend to be guilty of that occasionally. 
but it comes down to that anthropic principle problem, which the simulation argument is used to explain. The anthropic principle is the opposite of the mediocrity principle, and you might not have heard of either but you engage in both regularly and should. Both are approaches to looking at reality when you have little evidence or means of getting more information. Mediocrity principle is the assumption that if I land on a planet and the first few folks I meet are wearing green that I should assume that's fairly normal and to them, a mediocre example of clothing colors. Anthropic principle is where we assume that, me being there, is some factor in their choice to wear green, like if green is their color for meeting honored guests from afar. Neither is right or wrong, indeed they are both usually wrong as you get more data, but they're both good approaches to encountering new strange things when you can't get more info. The reason everyone around you is wearing hospital scrubs is because you banged your head and your friends took you to the hospital, not because most people wear scrubs. However, you would already know this or easily be able to ask a few questions and make a few observations and figure it out, so it's not great for demonstrating the concept of the Anthropic Principle. To demonstrate the Anthropic Principle, it saves time if the examples do not permit the person you're discussing it with to say things like, well, I looked it up online, or I do a few tests, so we use three popular examples. One is a fine-tuned universe. The apparently freakishly slim odds the physical constraints in our universe would allow life, and since we cannot currently look outside our universe to see if there are others, we have no way of proving if our universe is a mediocre example of universes, most of which have life. Or a freak case that we can only see has life because universes without life don't have anyone to look at them and notice that they're the regular kind. The next is the Doomsday Argument, see that episode for details, but it tries to argue that you're more likely to be a middle child of human history than one of the eldest since there are going to be way more middle children, and thus human history is nearly over, and of course you can't present evidence for or against that sort of assertion. Simulation argument is the same, there is currently no known way to prove or disprove it from the evidence on hand. I want to emphasize that because while all three concepts, fine-tuned universe, doomsday, and simulation argument have a lot of serious and grim discussion, they are academically really boring and are mostly valuable for preventing folks from stopping you in the middle of the discussion to point out ways to prove it right or wrong. Other examples of the anthropic principle, or mediocrity principle, tend to have really obvious and easy ways to gather evidence. If a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise? Yes, at least under the current definition of noise, and the point you're trying to make is that events which are not seen or observed and do not affect others maybe doesn't truly matter, then you'll save some headaches by setting the event in a different reality where we cannot see or feel it falling. When it comes to simulation theory though, we do not need to bother simulating every tree falling, including ones that fell in times and places no person will ever see. And you probably don't actually care if your fossil record that you made up is a perfect match, so you do not need to go through a big bang and run every planet in the universe forward to the present to simulate modern times. You don't really need a catalog of every tree that ever exists on Earth because it's not possible for us to run about 350 million light years from Earth faster than light and build a mega telescope to observe the evolution of the first trees and see if they match locations in our fossil record. There is no FTL, and indeed this is another thing you want to avoid in a simulated reality. Superluminal cause and effect. 
but if they're war, you could still just make stuff up. It's not that someone might catch the few positions were off, you can have a whole room of scientists staring at flawed data on a table, all nodding and agreeing it was correct. They are sims and you are the programmer, you could set the table on fire and tell them they were looking at totally accurate data with no anomalies even while the fire alarm was going off for no apparent reason and not worth checking on. You control reality, including the people in it and their own minds. It's a little discouraging to think you could be someone's puppet like that and have no way of beating the system or red-pilling out of the Matrix, but that's basically how that should work and I think folks try to slip around it. On to why we probably are not in one. First, there might not be any we involved, it might just be you, but that's not really an ancestor simulation and thus is not part of the argument. Let's assume in the next few decades we get computers that are, say, orders of magnitude more powerful and get our brain scanners and deep learning AI upgraded similarly. That should permit a capacity to scan a brain quickly and detailed enough to either read it or emulate it, a same difference in this context. Whether I am an uploaded mind 30 years from now, or a human with my brain being real-time scanned and a simulation directly fed back to my nerves, there's a strong implication there that I am functionally immortal, and that could happen in our lifetime. Such being the case, it is trivial to come up with reasons why you or I would choose to be in an ancestor simulation and even submit to some flat-out brainwashing to help us ignore any inconsistencies. And our time is not mediocre. This, the 24th century, is probably the last one people will exist in, during which the technology on hand does not make faking reality so obviously doable that people don't either worry about it constantly or have to live in denial to stay sane. Folks worried about it in the past too, when dreaming, and good books or hallucinatory drugs were your only routes to fake worlds, so just imagine what it would be like as these technologies come into real use. So it is plausible that this is the most simulated era, that while folks go visit history sims or fantasy settings, the one they actually lived in originally is the one we replicate the most. It's hard to imagine simulating a whole world of fake but total people for one person's entertainment, but not so hard to imagine a thin resolution world for one person to experience only the bits really in proximity to them or millions of us sharing an ancestor sim with a few billion subsentient folks to fill up the landscape. It is kind of hard to imagine us, as we are now, if we were still that way in a future able to do the simulating, not choosing to do it fairly often. Go relive a period of your life, maybe do it a bit differently, after all we all play that what if game occasionally and I dare say we do what if for our own life more often than daydreaming fantasy and fictional life. It would seem then to say that our odds of being in some sort of simulation, even if it is as a voluntary client who paid not to remember they were in their own simulation for a while, is actually very high. Let us say you were born in the 24th century, but now it is the year 1 million AD, and you happen to be in a simulation of the 24th century at the moment, but you have had a bit of dream tech applied so that you forget you're here as a visitor. Every few centuries you go spend a few decades back in good old simple days, maybe raise another couple kids to join you up in the real world, who had the advantage of growing up in the fairly civilized 24th century but still endure some hardship and not be spoiled or inhuman by being born in the distant present. 
Or maybe you are such a child and your parents are the ones from 1 million AD and it's been a family tradition for 998 centuries to raise kids in the simulations of the glorious old 21st. That then is probably the final note. Some folks say ancestral simulations probably just would not get done, not because we couldn't or wouldn't but because the civilizations able to do so would not. Maybe because such civilizations always have a machine rebellion and unlike in the Matrix that machine is smart enough to know that humans do not make good power production devices and thus don't keep us around in some fantasy history. Maybe because all that ability to emulate and copy minds results in them being post-humans with less emotional desire to revisit the past that way. It is arguably inefficient and even mentally unhealthy to want to live in a fake world that way, and such masters of the mind, able to create believable fake worlds and believable fake minds, probably are also masters at detecting mental illness and treating it. Their reality might just not have folks who would either want to live in the past that way or would be so crazed, wasteful, or immoral as to make simulated humans with real minds and feelings, like some disposable lab rat. They may not need to raise their kids in some fake idealized past to keep them from being spoiled, they might just be good at not raising spoiled brats or hedonists, or they might all be extreme hedonists in which case, I don't know about you, but my own reality in life doesn't seem like a hedonistic adventure, and I really quite enjoy life too. I think that's what we'll close on then. As I said at the beginning, we weren't going to be able to prove or disprove if we were or were not in an ancestor simulation, let alone other types of simulations, subverses, or dreams. You could be some randomly assembled Bortzman brain, existing in total sensory deprivation in some universe with utterly different physical laws than ours, slowly going insane and hallucinating a whole universe, our universe, or you and I might be both sentient hallucinations of such a mind. Again I'm not sure if just being in your own personal past simulation counts as an ancestor simulation either, but you could be in one of those. In the end though, I don't find it very likely. Not because I can't see myself doing it, but because I can see myself telling others it is a bad idea, a morally iffy thing in some cases and a waste of time in others. I don't think I'd vote to approve funding for Sim Earth 2022, or let it slide without active complaint if someone was simulating real minds in some personal paradise of theirs where they could do to them what they pleased, and I don't really think a smarter and wiser version of me would be more okay with such things. I suspect that's true of most folks, especially most folks who live in a post-scarcity future world with life extension and mind augmentation. We would expect them to be older, wiser, and smarter on average than us, and I tend to assume that means more ethical than us on average too. And of course to me, noted techno-optimist who tends not to be cynical about people, that equates to scenario 2, ancestral simulation is possible but just doesn't get done as it is impractical and immoral, thus the odds of us being in one is slim. Too much effort just to achieve a goal that might get you lynched. If you're of the opinion that folks couldn't wait to take a deep dive into a reality they ruled and had real emulated minds in it, and this would happen many times, even if others tried to stop it, then things look more glum. Such being the case, it is very easy to believe folks like that would particularly love reliving their youth to prove wrong or punish those who scorned them, making ancestor simulations common because they really want those people they are interacting with to be real, with feeling, including pain and regret not just some advanced chatbot 
then you pretty much get stuck with Scenario 3. Simulation is possible, it happens a lot, and statistically, you are probably in one. Needless to say, I think I prefer Scenario 2's assumptions to be true over Scenario 3, but that's mostly what it comes down to. If you think a future humanity is one that would eagerly abuse such ancestor simulations or be indifferent to preventing them being abused, then it's not really a question. If there's a high probability this is all really a dream, it's more about worrying if someone's dream is putting you in a nightmare. So a key point of today's episode is not just that it is very hard to emulate a human mind, let alone billions of them, but that it is just orders of magnitude more difficult than creating passable simulations. The more we learn about the mind and neural networks, the more we realize how hard they are to build, and how often something vastly simpler and easier would get the job done. Neural networks are one of the most fascinating new areas of computer science, and if you want to learn more about them, Brilliant's interactive courses on neural networks and computer science fundamentals can help you on that journey to better understanding our minds and machines. One of the things we've learned about our minds as we've come to better understand neuroscience and neural networks is better learning, and critical to that is interactivity, hands-on learning is hands down the best kind and that is something Brilliant builds into all their courses and constantly seeks to improve. To make it easier for anyone to learn math, science, and computer science, be it the basics or advanced materials. For instance, Brilliant's Computer Science Fundamentals course takes you through the basics of computation with their trademark interactivity, even showing how decisions get made, but picking Brilliant as a learning partner is an easy decision, especially as you can try it out for free. With Brilliant, you can learn at your own pace, learn on the go, and learn something new. To get started, for free, Visit Brilliant.org slash Isaac Arthur or click on the link in the description, and the first 200 people will get 20% off Brilliant's annual premium subscription. So next week we will be having our two-hour episode, The Megastructural Compendium, our expanded and improved version of our original episode on megastructures that started the show almost eight years ago. Back then I had done the episode in large part because I felt so many sci-fi authors missed the chance to use these immense and wonderful artifacts in stories, and I am very glad to say a lot of authors have used them more and more in recent years, many of them fans of our show. I want to give a shout out to the father and son writing team Patrick and Blake Seaman on their new series, starting with Book 1, Accipital War, where a modern day town and a military base find themselves mysteriously awakening inside a giant McKendry cylinder. I'm about 100 pages in and I love the book thus far, and I love knowing our show helped inspire it, definitely worth checking out. Also, really glad to see the McKendry Cylinder, the big, big brother of the O'Neill Cylinder, getting to be a setting. Again, next week we've got that Megastructural Compendium coming up, where we'll be going over around a hundred Megastructural types and hopefully they'll help inspire some great new stories too. Science and sci-fi have a long history of positive feedback with each other. Speaking of which, the weekend after that we'll be having our monthly Sci-Fi Sunday episode on June 12th where we'll look at the Silurian Hypothesis, the concept of some ancient civilization like intelligent dinosaurs might have once dwelt on Earth long ago. We will also ask what would remain of humanity's accomplishments millions of years from now if we suddenly died off. And two weeks from now, we'll be looking at the concept of interstellar probes, 
we will begin our two-part story of traveling to an anomalous system to investigate it, concluding with life as a planetary explorer. Now if you want to know us when those and other episodes are coming out, make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notification bell, and if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and share it with others, and leave a comment below. You can also join in the conversation on any of our social media forums, find our audio-only versions of the show, or donate to help support future episodes, and all of those options and more are listed in the links in the episode description. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week.